everybody. So happy to see you, happy to be here. And I just wanna share some thoughts today. The first thing I wanted to do was um, to thank Integral Life, as always, for providing this platform now for 10 years. And, um, and it's so much easier now. And uh, it's so nice to be live on YouTube and Facebook and, uh, and a special welcome to those of you who are joining live uh, through the various portals. I wanted to start with a, a brief commentary on Joe Biden's speech the other night and the COVID memorial where America passed the 500,000 dead mark. And he gave a speech that was remarkable and got a lot of attention. And I'm gonna play an excerpt that's probably the excerpt you've heard because it's, it's really remarkable in the, the, the excerpt itself. And, um, and then I'll come back and talk about it. So here's Joe Biden the other night on COVID. I know what it's like to not be there when it happens. I know what it's like when you are there holding their hands. As you look in your eye and they slip away. That black hole in your chest, you feel like you're being sucked into it. The survivor's remorse, the anger, the questions of faith in your soul. For some of you, it's been a year, a month, a week, a day, even an hour. And I know that when you stare at that empty chair around the kitchen table, it brings it all back no matter how long ago it happened, as if it just happened that moment you look at that empty chair. The birthdays, the anniversaries, the holidays without them, and the everyday things, the small things, the tiny things that you miss the most, that scent when you open the closet, that park you go by that you used to stroll in, that movie theater where you met. We often hear people described as ordinary Americans. There's no such thing. There's nothing ordinary about them. The people we lost were extraordinary. They spanned generations. Born in America, immigrated to America. But just like that, so many of them took their final breath alone in America. As a nation, we can't accept such a cruel fate. So, yeah, how about that, Joe Biden, huh? That's really something. And I want to note that, developmentally speaking, that that speech, and particularly that passage of the speech, because he went on to talk about what we need to do and how we're going to better days ahead and, you know, the more standard fare that you would expect from a presidential speech. But this particular passage, I think, represented a significant move into green postmodern culture for this country. And uh, for two reasons. One is that <clears throat> green is characterized by, it's called, in fact, Claire Graves, the original researcher for so much of this, called it the sensitive self. It is the self that comes online that is deeply sensitive to the interiors of oneself, first of all, and other people. 
And particularly those, and this is where green being a first tier meme has its sort of a, a boundary. It really wants to pay attention to the suffering of those who have been previously overlooked. And so this would be sick people. This would be, of course, people of color, uh, gays, gender nonconforming, and so forth. And Green gets criticized, uh, often rightly so, for overreaching and for its, frankly, totalitarian aspects, which is, a, you know, it's the mean Green part, which we all know about. There's good and mean of every stage. And let's not forget the good, though, that's coming online here when you consider you know, what has come online before in human history, that the basic impulse of green postmodern morality is to create a more sensitized world where we are dedicated to seeing and easing the suffering of really, the, well, the weak and the overlooked at green, but the part we wanna take forward into the integral is that we want to be sensitive, deeply sensitive to the interiors and the joys and sufferings of all living beings. And that is a, you know, that's where the world, that's the sacred world to come that I often talk about. In the sacred world to come, we will be exquisitely sensitive to each other and all living things. And this is a move in that direction. So that's one way. And I've never heard a president speak in, in this territory before, quite like this. Uh, the second thing I would say is that, that, that makes it green. It's, it's a sensitive self is first thing. The second thing is that it meets an important green requirement. And that is that people get to speak from their own experience. And they cannot speak for other people who have not had that experience. And Joe Biden having lost a wife and a child in his earlier life to a car accident, his daughter, and then his son, I think what, five, six years ago from brain cancer, Bo, uh, he knows from what he speaks here. And that adds this authenticity that just, you know, it makes it work. And when you don't have that, you don't have the credibility uh, from Green to speak of other people. And it was really, you know, when I say that this is the first time I've heard a president speak this way, Bill Clinton did too, sort of sometimes, uh, his famous line about, I feel your pain. But again, he didn't have that second piece, which is the credibility of having gone through it himself and of speaking for the people that you're actually representing. So, um, so you look at that speech and you think, how could anyone not be touched by that? And I think most people were touched by that. He's currently at a 54% approval rating, which is certainly higher than anything Trump had. And he's gusted as high as 58, 60 in some polls. But, you know, why isn't it more? You know, what's up with the other 45%? And the, the, the answer is, again, development helps. It's, they don't have green sensitivity. They see the world differently. And actually, I was talking to a conservative friend of mine about this, and she said that she found his speech to be off-putting and maudlin. And I get it. 
you know, that's from, from her, her world, it, you know, you don't do that. And so, you know, we look at the a little bit of fleshing this out and we see that, you know, previous to green postmodern culture is modern culture, orange modern culture. And orange culture has been critiqued for um, shunting what the Buddhists call the three marks of existence, old age, sickness, and death, shunting it off the stage so we don't have to look at it. And there's a famous book of cultural critique called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker, I think written in the 60s. And he makes this case that modernity, uh, you know, we busy ourselves with creating the modern world so that we don't have to remember that we're going to die. And um, so we look at statistics and so forth, and but we don't really look at death square in the eye like traditional people did, earlier stages did. And you know, Biden actually talks about this in his speech. He says that the, these people aren't statistics; every one of them is precious. And there's the end of the world when any one of them dies. And you know, that's um, so Biden wants to counter that statistical thing of of modernity or that sort of sanitized death of modernity. Uh, and then we could look at traditional people. And there's the people at Spiral Dynamics Blue or in Aqua Model, it's the Amber Stage, but it's basically the same thing. And I would wanna say that these people deny death too. In fact, human beings have been denying death ever since we realized that we're gonna die. And I'm not sure that's wrong. I think maybe we know something, maybe 250,000 years of human history, we actually figured something out about life and it is we don't die. But that's another topic. So traditionalists deny death because they say, well, I'm going to go to heaven or I'm going to have an afterlife. They don't deny death on earth, of course, because that's obvious and it's, they're closer to it. And in the traditional societies, there's no getting away from it. But, you know, at that stage, it's God's will. And that's comforting to a traditionalist to think that all of this is in God's hands. And that in Joe Biden's case, if I lose a wife and two of my children, it's, you know, God's will and they are waiting for me in paradise and I will see them and be with them again. And you try comforting somebody who's modern or postmodern with that it's God's will, you know, if they've lost somebody and you'll see that it just you know, doesn't work. And so, you know, welcome to a world where we have several stages operating and competing and, you know, uh, getting all worked up about each other. So, you know, grief is private at these earlier stages. We, I, I always remember that there's a, it's not that it's not emotional and, and, and I uh, was thinking about this and I just remember it as a child living in my little town, the little coal mining town, Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, Western Pennsylvania. And um, the whole town, and there's about five, 600 people, uh, would walk down to the Veterans Cemetery every Memorial Day. And there would be a talk and there would be a song. And, um, and then at the end of it, there would be somebody on the other side of the cemetery playing taps on a bugle. And there would be a gun salute. 
And it was terribly emotional. The, the liquid space of it, of all of us was, I remember I'm what, five years old, six years old. And uh, it was many years, of course, we did it every year. And, um, but, you know, if somebody's weeping, it's quietly, there's no hugging, there's no, everybody's at attention. In fact, there's a certain um, uh, decorum that you hold. And so, you know, Biden is going against that grain. And those people aren't going to like that. They're not going to relate to it. They don't have green sensitivity in the way that so many of us do and as the world is turning. So, you know, just some thoughts about this and, um, and, and Joe, we like Joe. The next thing I wanted to share is, okay, this is something that was brought to my attention by my friend Namali, some of you know, and um, it's a, YouTube sensation, or two, two, two YouTubers, uh, called Twins the New Trend. And it's two 21-year-old twin brothers, Tim and Fred Williams. And they're in Gary, Indiana, and they broadcast on YouTube out of their house. And what they do is they broadcast reaction videos, which is an art form that itself is so meta and evolutionarily potent that it's talk about witnessing each other's interiors what a reaction video is is a video of somebody with a camera on them and they're reacting to something i think they react to all kinds of things but the, the main thing is music so they'll be listening to a song and they'll you'll watch their face sometimes they'll stop it and comment and sometimes they won't and you know so this, you know, this internet and this practice of witnessing each other, people all over the world and of all ages and stages um, is, um, it's just the evolutionary cauldron in action. So anyway, these two guys have developed a following and uh, what they do, and this is why I bring it up in an integral show, is they're, in, they're integral. Now, are they integral in all lines and in all ways? I don't know. I doubt it. But what they are is they are open vessels for the energies of life in a way that one rarely sees. Maybe one sees it more and more on the internet. I don't go into so much of this YouTube world, particularly of young people. But um, I'll, I'll show you what I'm talking about. So what is also so great about these two is that they sample songs from all genres, certainly the American songbook. And, um, and, and what I'm gonna play now is them listening to the song In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. It was recorded in 1981. So an old white guy, these two guys are young, they're 20 year old black twins from, like I said, from Gary, Indiana. And they are listening to Phil Collins. So let me just play a little bit of it and you'll see what I'm talking about here. Yeah. Okay, Philly. Yeah. The last time we ever met.
Sleeping on them. Let's wake them up. Come on, hey, you ain't All right, so there's that. I mean, are they uh, completely magnetic and adorable, or what? Um, and they 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 listen to Dolly Parton. Jolene, Rage Against the Machine, all kinds of hip hop, Nirvana, Elvis Presley, Aerosmith, Sinead O'Connor, Michael Jackson, heavy metal. They um, listen to everything. And like I said, what they achieve instantly is what we sometimes refer to as flow, which is inhabiting the ever-changing moment. And it's characterized by deep fulfillment and the accessing of one's own genius, actually. And that's kind of what they're doing. And it's a and the other interesting thing about these two is that they love all the music they listen to. I've never seen them really be critical. I haven't watched them extensively, but um, they're positive. And that to me also is a marker of integral because green postmodernity is marked by depression. <laughs> Everybody's bummed out at Green because they were so focused on the suffering and the injustice and hallelujah, to major stage of development. Uh, and then there's a stage beyond, which is integral and early integral yellow or teal, and then later integral turquoise, which we'll talk a little bit more about in a minute. But they're marked by the realization of evolution itself and that evolution, although it is not pretty, is beautiful and does create ever uh, new structures of goodness, truth, and beauty. So there's a positivity that comes online here. And so they naturally have it. And then the other thing they have, and I think it just basically magnifies what I'm talking about, is they have each other. And they have this twin louche, you know, this liquid space between twins, often, uh, you know, I, but I think it's pretty standard, where they really just groove with each other. And they have this intimacy of we space, since they've been together uh, starting in the womb, that they just look at each other, they respond to each other, they you know, you could tell they're in one space. They're in a they're in a we space together, which is, uh, according to integral theory, ontologically non-reducible to the individual. It's like you have two individuals, and then you have a we space, and that's its own thing. And so we see that, and I point that out because, first of all, it's just delightful, and I can see why they have. I think there's up to nine million uh, uh, listens to that Phil Collins. That was the one they had done some before, but that was the breakout for them. And now they have millions of followers. And, um, and you know, so it's just intrinsically delightful. And I wanna say also that uh, I mentioned the sacred world to come. 
in the sacred world to come, we will all have that kind of flow with everybody we meet. Isn't that going to be great? And everything even. So that's something to look forward to. And it's one of the reasons these, these two are so um, popular and magnetic. We tend to magnetize towards what is next. Um, so anyway, I wanted to play another segment from them. And this is where they're going through Barack Obama's playlist. And I guess they got somehow connected and he said he'd send them a book and they were talking about his playlist. And so they're listening to Bob Dylan's uh, The Times They Are Changing from Obama's playlist. And as you know, Bob Dylan saying you, you don't criticize what you don't understand. The times they are changing. So this is the song they've been listening to and they've stopped the music and here's what they have to say. Okay, man. Okay, Bob, Bob Dylan, man. Dylan, man. You, this was cold, man. You really had to listen to what he was saying. Facts, man. man. He was speaking some facts. He was speaking how he feel. Yeah, for real. And he, and he, one of my favorite parts of the song, he was like, just because you don't understand, you can't, you know, criticize. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, I, yeah. Ooh, that's yeah. deep. A lot, right people, up. a lot of people, a lot of people, I do that a lot that's of times, right too. Deep right man. So, yeah, that's I definitely right, catch man. myself doing that, man. Yeah. Just because you don't understand, don't criticize, man. Yeah, man. We most definitely uh, got to see why Obama put this on his playlist, man. Yeah. Hey, people. What's going on? Elon? I hear you guys were asking questions. I decided I'm just going to go ahead and come here live. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening, twins? Oh, what's up, man? Are we good? <laughs> Tim and Fred, how you doing, man? Good. Feeling good. <laughs> Fantastic. And you guys are 22? Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> and you guys have become these YouTube stars because you've been going to the back list of, of old songs and, and rediscovering them and, and opening up people's minds to... Uh, all kinds of different kinds of music. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Trying to do that. Can I ask a question? How, how you guys got the idea of this show? Just by the love and passion of music we had, because as we was growing up, we lived in a religious home, so we wasn't able to listen to all different types of genres. But as we right. started getting older and exploring more music, that's when we started like, oh, what is that? Then we just started listening to it. And somebody uh, requested Frank Sinatra under my skin, and that's how we all got started. That's a great song. Yeah, it is. Sinatra, Sinatra could sing. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most important things we can do as people, but especially young people, is opening our minds to how other people feel, what their traditions are, you know, trying to f make common cause with folks even if they don't look like us or didn't come from the same neighborhood or... Yeah, the country's so divided right now. Oh, yeah. And, you know, on the internet, a lot of times, everybody's just mad. And, and you guys are doing, which is being open to new ideas, new experiences, and, and reaching out to, to different traditions. That's America at its best. Um, and, and I think you guys uh, sending that message uh, is, is, is powerful. Uh, so so it's so keep on doing what you're doing. Oh yeah, definitely. Like you said, you know, just get young people and people I you know around our age to explore more music, and it's cool to listen to that type of music. So just be different, yeah, because yeah. everybody's stuck in one path. Yeah. So how about that? Is that amazing or what? So yeah, um, twins, the new trend. Check them out. Um, I find them endlessly delightful and integral. Uh, in their multi-perspectivalism. 
and how they um, manifest it in real time in so sparkly a way. Which takes me to a second person that I want to highlight here. I think I'm going to call this section, the kids are terrific. The kids are fabulous, you know, not just all right, because some of these young people just, I think, what was I thinking when I was 21? And now we're going to ratchet back here to 17. This is a 17 year old. And this is actually uh, a young woman that I talked to on a podcast, oh, a month or six weeks ago called um, Gen Z at Second Tier. And it was an interview with her, her name's Zoe Jenkins. She's a young black girl from, I'm thinking Kentucky. And Gary Sheng, who is together, they are part of this a civics group called Civics Unplugged, where they're working with young people <clears throat> using integral principles. And I interviewed them with Steve McIntosh in our new series called Post-Progressive Inquiries. And they are familiar with Steve's work and my work. And, um, and it was great to talk to them. And so this is a clip from Zoe Jenkins. She's talking about what are the stumbling blocks to moving forward? And this idea that everybody has an idea of the way things should be. And maybe what things should be is a world where everybody has their own idea of that and it's okay. It's a subtle and sophisticated point. And um, a lot of integralists don't get it. And she not only gets it, it's her native land. So I'll, I'll share just a clip. This is a clip from the um, one I did. I'll start with a, a clip from one of my listeners who uh, sent a voicemail to my speak pipe, it's called. It's on the connect tab of the dailyevolver.com website, and you can leave me a voicemail. And this is a Rachel, a listener who often does, actually, and I love Rachel's comments. But she was so enamored of this young, of these two young people, actually. And so I'll play what she has to say, and then I'll go right into Zoe posted and oh my god i just loved listening to the civic engagement work that these young people are doing wise beyond years and really inspiring i think a big conversation that we had um especially around like martin luther king jr day of talking about his beloved communities the idea that um that better i mean better means something different to everybody and also that this kind of goal to reach some kind of like beloved community is going to be a letdown, right? Like if that's like a final point where you're like, if we solve like X, Y, and Z, we will have reached like the perfect society. We know that's not true because every time you solve some system, if you solve a problem, there are going to be more problems that arise. And so in many ways, you just need people who are driven to make things better but also people have to want that to be better for everybody, which I think is kind of the problem that we've been seeing in a lot of varieties of politics where one side claims to be the moral like authority, but then they don't want anything better for the other side. And they're so quick to dismiss people who they don't think fit in kind of their mold of like, well, our society would be great if we just didn't have those types of people. But that's simply not how you can make the world a better place. Um, so that's kind of a big conversation we've been having is that 
being better just means that other people have to buy into this idea that other people deserve to have better as well. And that we all, I mean, that may mean that you have to give in a little more. Um, you may not get as much out of it, but overall, you know, as you improve the quality of life for more people, your quality of life will improve as well. And the world itself will become a better place as well. Um, I think that, um, and I'm sure Gary can speak more to this, that there is a lot of resistance because I think people, we we're kind of indoctrinated with this like learned helplessness of like the world is the way it is for a reason. So you're just supposed to kind of accept it the way it is and operate in the way that works. And I think that's where we get most of the resistance is people are like, well, that, that just seems way too far fetched or like how on earth do you have a group of kids who do, who think they're think, who think they're capable of that? Like they haven't even gone to college yet. Like how, how do you think they're going to be able you know, to affect this kind of change. And, you know, that's another thing that we talk about a lot is that pessimism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you don't think kids are capable, if you don't think the world can be a better place, then kids will never be capable and the world will never be a better place. You have to earnestly believe in that. And I think imparting that belief and that optimism on other people, I think where we get the most pushback is how do we get other people to buy into this idea that, we can all want better for everybody. Um, it's going to be a challenge, but we all have to work together to get to that point. How about that? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, she's pointing out, it's, it's just textbook integral, actually. It's multi-perspectivalism. Uh, and it's the uh, realization that all first tier memes have this idea that what's the world thinks and sees, sees life the way we do, then we're going to be okay. So for traditionalists, it's once everybody accepts Jesus as their personal savior for Christian traditionalists, you know, and God rules the land, then we'll be good. Or modern, once everybody becomes rational and logical, then everything's going to be fine. I thought that for a long time. And green, uh, postmodern, once everybody gets sensitive to the power dynamics of history and how they still echo in the world today. And, um, you know, the dynamics of oppression and subjugation are revealed, then we'll be fine. And at Integral, the, you know, we hear people talk about, so everybody, you know, what's the Integral view? The Integral view is many flowers bloom here. And that each one of these stages has a piece of the truth that, or actually they have a truth, you know, and then there's just a bigger space that can accommodate all of them. And they actually have their place in this bigger space. And we can all move forward together. And I think she articulates it well. And when I think of her being 17, I don't know what else to say except, wow, uh, evolution is moving fast. I, I'm going to actually do one more uh, in the Kids Are Fabulous section. Here. This is uh, coming from a different angle, but this is a young man who wrote to me a week or so ago from Stockholm. And I'm not going to say his name because I haven't got permission and I'm not sure he wants to be identified. But he wrote to me about work he's doing in uh, integral practice, where he is working with the energy centers. So of the body and, you know, you know, in integral, we see that there are three great states of being there. Are, you can slice and dice it differently, but there's the physical world. There's the world of um, 
of thought and subtle energies and that sort of thing. And then there's the world of the causal, which is sort of the effervescent sort of bigger world that is truly transpersonal than we can dissolve into. He is working with these energy centers and he makes the point and he's right that it's the, the chakras and the energy practices have not typically been emphasized in integral practice. And it, it's actually the, one of the areas that I know the least about, I know a bit about it. I'm inspired by this 22 year old. Uh, I'm just gonna share a little bit that he wrote in his discovery with working with these chakra practices. And he says, uh, he, he titles it the anatomy of turquoise, okay? And he talks about how he's working with four of these chakras and I'm gonna share the screen, there we go. So he's talking about working with the, the second chakra, the fourth chakra, the sixth chakra and the seventh. And, and I'll describe, he describes actually what they mean and how they work together to create turquoise consciousness. And I'm open. So here's what he said. All right, so he's talked about having done this practice and he, there was an hour and a half practice that he did. And afterward he said, everything I witnessed fell into the open heart, which is the fourth chakra. And that's the chakra of love energies. And then he said, my open sixth chakra, which is the chakra of seeing and imagination, um, seeing the world. He said, it made the love indiscriminate, totally compassionate for even the darkest side of a being. That ability to see someone in their totality without judging their ugly sides is what gives turquoise its famed holism. That's a lot, that's a mouthful. The ability to see someone in their totality without judging their ugly sides is what gives turquoise its famed holism. So we've got the heart, this love, moving into this panoramic view of the sixth chakra. Okay, now he's gonna go down to the second chakra, which is the chakra of emotions, sexuality, connection, creativity. And he says, a second chakra bond was then formed when being entered my awareness and could be part of my subtle body psyche, or it, it could be a part of my subtle body, a psyche, or another living being. I'm not sure I'm reading that, that. At any rate, he goes on. He says, the indiscriminate love then worked through that bond to create the desire to heal the being, H-E-A-L, heal the being. Healing means making happy. This, I mean, every sentence here is worth pondering. Healing means making happy, as happiness is the psyche's way of signaling health. I'll buy that, you know. And then he goes on. It's then perceived that the being has bonds with other beings that in turn have more bonds. These bonds continue out to a whole network encompassing every being on this planet, also known as the web of life. So this love panoramic view then gets taken down to the second chakra of connection, um, emotions. And then we go move up to the crown chakra, which is the connection to the cosmos itself. And then he says, the open seventh chakra 
the crown chakra, made the cognition cosmic rather than personal, giving a third person perspective required for the impersonal nature, nature of the second tier. And that's a mouthful and there's a little jargon there for integralists, but he's talking about giving a third person perspective. So a perspective of the whole web of being. Uh, and that's required for the impersonal nature because second person is where it's personal. And that's the nature of turquoise or second tier. And, um, you know, I know it's a little confusing if you don't know the lingo, but uh, it's a beautiful insight. And then he ends with this short two sentence paragraph. He says, just like rationality is the way of knowing for orange, intuition and empathy are a way of knowing for turquoise. I love that. Intuition and empathy are a way of knowing for turquoise. Hmm. That I'm going to chew on. So I thank you for sending this to me. And, um, you know, these kids, what can I tell you? Uh, I'm just impressed as I could possibly be and so encouraged. All right. Well, I think I'll... Uh, close with that today and uh, thank you again for listening you can check out all my stuff at dailyevolver.com you can like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter I'm trying to tweet more and more and get in that groove because I'm, I'm getting Twitter now I'm reading it and I actually see the value of it and then subscribe to the YouTube channel if you're so inclined and, um, and so there you go 10 years of this stuff and um, it's my great privilege to be able to do it Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time on The Daily Evolver.